Trevor, and we are the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 208. Here's a Boo Crew Fright Fact. In 2000s, Hollow Man, an anatomically correct, totally working computer model, was created of Kevin Bacon's entire body, down to the last capillary. The 3D model has since been donated to scientific researchers. This time around, you are joined by returning guest, writer-director, Fetty Alvarez. You can go back to episode 123 for an in-depth discussion on everything from Don't Breathe to his masterful foray into the Evil Dead universe. Here, it's all about his groundbreaking new show, Calls. At time of release, all nine segments released exclusively on Apple TV Plus March 19th. He'll tell you how he crafted this unique experience of making you part of a creepy narrative told entirely through phone calls. Featuring an incredible cast, including the likes of Nick Jonas to Karen Gillan, Jennifer Tilly, and Lily Collins. The score from the Haxon Cloak, who brought us into the world of Midsommar. He'll also give you an exclusive from the latest on the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre film he is producing, and so much more. Oh, I think that's for you. Episode 208 is calling. What's the angel of death, motherfucker? The Boo Crew dusts a fright flick off the shelf for ah! Horror Homework. We are going to go around the room and around the world wide web, all the way out to Leo in beautiful downtown. <laughs> they each highlight a horror flick to each other and possibly even to you that we consider a must-see or perhaps worth a revisit. Starting, as usual, live from Maria's Italian Kitchen, <laughs> Leo. <laughs> and happy birthday to you, Leo. Yes, happy birthday. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, guys. I'm, I'm actually back in the kitchen washing dishes because I couldn't pay the bill. <laughs> but, but yeah, great food at this place. Great food. Oh, um, so good. Spent the birthday watching a movie called Stay Out of the Effing Attic. <laughs> That's exactly what we watch, man. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Very funny. rarely ever happens, but when it does. I know. You know what? Trevor predicted it. He goes, I bet Leo watched the same movie. And I was like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, so. whenever it comes to Shudder, man, Leo's on top of the latest and yeah, greatest. And that's what we uh, partake in this time around. Leo, give us your thought on this thing, man. I really enjoyed it. It's just one of those movies where it had a, a little bit from common column A, column B, you know, a little campy, fun up parts and, you know, a little scares here and there. And uh, it just wrapped up really nice at the end. But a fun movie overall. Uh, did not know anything about it. Did not even like research or nothing. I just says, you know what? This is like interesting. Is it? Is it play, play? See what happens. You know. So let's give you a quick little synopsis here. A group of ex-cons turned professional movers are convinced by their creepy client Vern Mueller, played by Michael Flynn, to pull an all-nighter moving this stuff out of his Victorian home. It turns out their client is hiding his shocking past and the mysteries that lie in the attic. As the night progresses, the room, rooms are cleared. They uncover the horrors that exist inside his old Victorian mansion. Together, they must find a way to escape his house of horrors. Will they be able to survive the night? You know, I got to say right off the bat. The Victorian. Vic Victorian mansion I was yes, in. Yes. Yeah. I saw the synopsis. Victorian mansion. 
Eh, it so, could be the worst fucking movie ever and he'll love it. Yep. It's that's true. true. <laughs> if it's an old house, like that's all you have to do. And He's it looked like a legit impressed. old house. It did. Right? It did not yep. look like a, a set. It looked like an actual practical location, which I love. Yeah. Liked. I really liked the prosthetics or the, the I don't cool. want to give it away. Oh, yeah. Okay. No. Yeah. There's some awesome gore effects yeah, going on. I, I really yeah. like that. I did fall asleep, but that, I woke you up. Yeah. That is not a testament. To, I brought you back to life. Yeah. If the movie is good or bad, it's just I have four kids. They're crazy. They drive me crazy. It's like I have like 50 windows open in my brain. I'm like, okay, I have like schedules of school and and this and that and virtual Girl Scouts and, you know, preschool registration and trips somewhere for seventh grade. I'm just like I'm on overdrive. So like when we sit down, it's like someone is pulling me to sleep. Like I don't want to go to sleep. Lauren shut down, man. Right. It happens. But you were into it. I was. Yeah. I was it wasn't really... that you weren't into it. No. <laughs> you were just in shutdown Friday night mode. We started watching it at like midnight or one o'clock. So I don't blame you. Yeah. But you did eventually make your way through it. Through the haunted house of horrors. But anyway, Leo, Sorry. I digress. What were you What were you in the middle of saying? No, you know, it's interesting about this house because the first thing I thought of was like, yep, Trevor Lauren going to love this movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know, the exteriors of the house look like a house in the neighborhood that I grew up in. I grew up in Angelino Heights uh, area of Echo Park, where there are a bunch of Victorian homes in that neighborhood that have since been restored. You know, and as a kid, we used to go trick-or-treating and or walking by after school through those homes, and we didn't know any better as kids, and we used to call them haunted houses. They were not kept up. They're historical, so they, they can't be modified. They were just kind of, you know, sitting there rotting for many years. Is know? that where they filmed Thriller? Because I know there was a neighborhood yes. of homes in LA. Yeah, okay. Yeah, definitely. That's one of them. So there's a there's a few streets, but one of them in particular has a lot of them. And uh, yeah, so I, I was thinking, I'm like, did they shoot this movie there? You know, I can't recall if they've all been restored. I think most of them have, but maybe one or two have not. And maybe that's where they shot this movie. I'm not sure. But uh, it made me think of the whole neighborhood for sure. I really enjoyed this. You know, I was thinking of, of uh, you know, how fun this movie is with these guys uh, packing up, moving these rooms as they make discoveries. And at times, there's a bunch of buffoons are messing around and something weird starts to happen. And then the tension ramps up. And I thought it really had a really good score to it that hit the right notes to transition from campy fun, horror messing around to, Hey, shit's about to go down. You know, I thought that's where like, uh, this is cool. Cause right away, just set the tone for, okay. Tensions, you know, something's about to happen. You know, I thought the cinematography was great. Most of it feels intimate as it's like a handheld camera in your face type shots, you know? And then at times, there are some of these wide-angle shots from above that look like they're being watched by a hidden camp. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, this movie had some fun scares here and there, and some, you know, interesting garden stuff, and a good ending. So, um, yeah, what did you, you guys think overall? I was really impressed by it. I thought it was super fun. It was directed by Jared Lauder. This is his debut feature-length mm-hmm. film, and it was co-written with his buddy Jesse Fetterman, and them, along with a couple other writers, put this together. Julie Auerbach, right. Jason Scott Goldberg, and Jared and Jesse were named ISA's top 25 writers to watch in 2020. So this film is nice. kind of their calling card. It won an award at the Atlanta Horror Film Fest this past year. The gore, as Lauren said, yeah. was awesome. It was amazing. Yeah. There's a lot of cool <laughs> in-your-face, camera not yeah. flinching, seeing everything. 
and great creature effects in design. Yeah, too. definitely. Yeah. Like, especially yeah. when you like fall asleep and it's starting, and then you wake up and you're like, "Holy shit! How did it get here?" Like, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> right. It so was fun. The effects were done by Emmy-nominated and award-winning Vincent Guastini. Vincent famously did Requiem for a Dream. Oh, that's a good one. Devil's Carnival nice. and the taking of. Deborah Logan. Deborah yes. Logan. Another good one. One of those movies we yeah. put on that I think was those I started watching and then had to stop because it was so good that I had to get you to watch it with me. No, I think it was reverse. I started watching it. Oh, did you? Yeah. And then I stopped it because <laughs> I was like, this is really good. Interesting. But yeah, I watched it, I think, shortly after not knowing that you did that. Oh. And I stopped it as well. <laughs> It was very good. <laughs> I remember that scene like near the beginning when she's like going near a window and we almost couldn't watch it. It was so scary. Yeah. I was like, yeah. F this. Yeah. I'm God, out. that movie's amazing. That's a really good one. Yeah. But yeah, the acting was on point. Everything about this one screamed fun. And the poster I fucking love. Just that staircase yeah. with the Victorian wallpaper and a red door with yeah. like a monster hand sticking out the side. And it's just yeah. right up your alley. If I saw that at an 80s video store, I'd be all over that shit. Yeah, no, definitely. Get some red vines, crocodile Dundee, and this. Oh my gosh. Yep. You're so funny. (laughs) That's not a knife. Oh my gosh. You're so you. (laughs) No, it was it was a definitely fun movie to watch. I'm excited to watch it when I'm more awake. No, a rewatch. Yeah, we can rewatch. Because I want to see the parts that I miss because I feel like it's not complete in my head. I'll watch it like when you're working. Because like yeah. when you're editing stuff, I usually watch the notebook. Always? <laughs> That's like your go-to? You know, oh, I just man. love the notebook. It's great. It's such a good movie. Yeah. And I've just been, I've rewatched it a couple of times. It just makes me feel happy. I gotta figure out sad. how to make that movie into like a, a horror movie. I want to make the notebook into a horror movie. Maybe like a vampire movie maybe or something. Yeah, it's called Twilight. (laughs) (laughs) Well, guys, that wasn't. Leo's out. You got to get back to washing those dishes. Uh, But just just one one more thing to mention. So this is just one of many amazing things coming to Shutter that are coming up this April, right? Yeah. This is it's called Halfway to Halloween Month. They're doing. I love it. And they're saying it's going to be their biggest month of programming ever. There's five new Shutter originals, exclusive documentary, and the return of Greg Nicotero's Creep Show season two will be back. Oh, I'm well. so excited for that. This is just like the tip of the iceberg. We aren't even in April yet. It's like Christmas. Yeah. I know. Yay. The Boo Crew will be right back. Halloween comes early this year. I do love a good joke, and this is the best ever. Universal Pictures presents Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. The night no one comes home. Happy Halloween. Rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. This is Fede Alvarez, and you're about to open the Book of the Dead with the Boo Crew. I just heard the weirdest noise outside my window. Oh, 
I'm making this all up? My favorite crew. Buddy, how you doing, man? I miss you guys. Oh, we miss you. We're so excited. All right. So joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studios, a writer-director behind some of the most visceral and intense cinematic experiences created in our lifetime. From one of the first ever viral shorts, Panic Attack, which caught the attention of Sam Raimi, who gave him the keys to 2013's Evil Dead, an unrelenting and bloody masterpiece. It went on to win six awards and is an incredible testament in taking an existing franchise and injecting originality, inventiveness, and entirely unique voice. He then brought us the award-winning action thriller The Girl in the Spider's Web and the tremendous Don't Breathe, making our toes curl under the edge of our seat and showing us an entire new kind of tension that was truly unforgettable. Earlier this month he tweeted out a cryptic message that he has written and directed a new show for apple tv plus the likes of which we have never seen before and he is right that show is calls all nine episodes begin streaming march 19th we are honored to welcome back to the show the consistently innovative and fearless trailblazer fatty motherfucking alvarez yeah thank you so much thank you so much i'm glad that you told me that that it it can curse that's the first thing you tell me i mean i'm seeing my i used to be famous for cursing a lot of interviews I get American eyes and I realize that people get really shocked with that. So I'm not doing it. <laughs> bring it, man. Bring it. This is, this is an awesome project. Huh? It's a wonderfully creepy stories. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. They unfold through these short phone conversations. It was based on this French series by Timothée Hochet. Tell us about your first exposure to that original series and how you got involved in crafting this one for us. Well, the first thing was that I mean, Apple approached me and Canal Plus approached me with the original show which is a very, you know, it's, it, it was a very unique thing. It was this concept of, uh, you know, this kind of Twilight Zone uh, episodes. It was very supernatural, actually, the original one. Um, it was more supernatural than mine, for sure. And, uh, and it's, uh, it, I just, I remember I was watching the first episode. I was like, I'm oh, in, this is, this is great. I didn't even know that I could use my imagination like this. And, um, and also, the, but the, what, what actually, actually made me say yes was the fact that I, that I didn't have to make the same stories or anything like that. It was just taking that format and run with it. And, and actually we need to create more because we need to create a whole visual language that was not there. You know, like with the movies, you come up with one concept and you have to work on it for two years. And all that. For this, it was a chance to suddenly create all these stories which for me, the bar was like, it has to be good enough for a film. If not, it's not worth it. And then take that concept and compress it in like 10, 20 minutes. So it, it was so much fun like to, to, to be able to do that, sit in front of a page and just come up with all these concepts. I do a lot of writing. Uh, been a lot, it's been a while since I was doing so much writing and, and I, I just had a blast with it. So it was that. It was a sense also that we could create so much, which we had to figure out something that, that just was never done before. And there was no Bible or playbook for it. Oh, that's so exciting. And the cast on this is extraordinary. From Nick Jonas to Jennifer Tilly and Karen Gillan and Riley Keough. That's just to name a few. What were the things yeah. that attracted you to their voices? 
you know, like a lot of them, a lot of them were actors that I, I was close to work with at some point. And then for some reason, they didn't happen. And then, you know, some of them, I called them up. I was like, you know, let's want to do this thing. I mean, honestly, it, all, the, most of the cast was just the first person we call. They all say yes. But I, I don't know if you know, but trivia, Lily Collins was going to be was going to be was going to play me on Evil Dead. And then schedule wise, something happened. She fell off. I mean, it was all over the trades at the time, I remember. So we managed. And now Lily Collins is in the first episode of this one. And, um, and there's, you know, obviously Stephen Lang is in the last episode. I need to bring him back. And we're there a blast working together again. So a lot of it is just relationship people that you just want to work with. And then yeah, it's just there's the Mark Duplass and Pedro Pascal and people like that. I just I'm a fan. I've been a fan of their work for a long time. And I, I just want to work with them. And um, and I guess testament to the script and the format at Apple that people just said yes right away and jump right in. So we, we end up having, it's kind of strange that episode two, you have Aaron Taylor Johnson and Riley Keough. So two, right? <laughs> episode one, usually you have a great cast and then you have the lesser thing. Not, not this case. Like uh, we end up having this great cast all over. Leo, you had a question about that process. Yeah. What was the process like in directing these actors? Were you coaching them in real time as they read their lines? Or did you have a creative freedom to act out their respective character lines? There was no, you know, like, uh, I think I remember like one of the, one of the things that excited me about it was like this almost, you know, the, the, the ambition of trying to make it as realistic as I could, you know, like remember, remember we all watched Blair Witch and we thought it was real, you know, that sort of thing of trying to maybe for a second there, I can convince you that these are real phone calls. So, so the challenge was to try to make it as realistic and grounded as possible. So, so it's really hard to script a real phone conversation. So you need to let, let the actors play with it and make it their own. But apart from that, as you you know me, and usually I, I, I like to put the actors in the elements and make it as realistic as possible for them. So I wasn't going to do that originally because we, we started working on this before the pandemic. And then we were about to go into production the pandemic hit. And the lockdown hit in LA. I was like, how are we going to do it? And then, uh, and then I thought, well, if this one show that we can still do is this one. And we basically create this football, like this uh, briefcase with a computer and mics, and we'll send it to each one of the actors' houses. And they will set up. They'll have to learn their way around a mic and a computer. And... Um, get to really work for, for once. And it's all the oldest thing. And they and have to figure all this shit out. And then, you know, actually... At the end, they were, it was great. I mean, I remember Nick Brown running around his house with the mic, you know, for the first episode. And then when we're going to do the final, you know, the, the climax of the episode, he has to go outside. So he was in Silver Lake, came out of the house with the mic running around, like screaming for help and all the neighbors looking at him. He was like, I think my neighbor thinks I'm crazy <laughs> to just see me with a mic running around, like playing this role. So it was, I remember Karen Gillian as well. Like she was screaming her death scene and a lot more screaming that is on the episode. And the dog's neighbors were going crazy and her own dog was like crying because the, the dog thought she was getting killed in the living room. So there was all this uh, super playful uh, way of doing the show. But but when it comes to directing, obviously when you have great actors, it takes less effort. But also the fact that they, they weren't pretending they were talking on the phone. Like Nick Brown and, and Karen Gillian never met. They, they just, there was, talking on the phone to each other. So if the line broke up a little bit, it broke up a little bit. And they were like, hello, sorry, I could hear you. And, and, and they were saying all the things were, were real. And then you have obviously actors like Mark Duplass that will improvise all over the script 
and I think probably fifty percent of that script is just like Markiplier provided lines. So there, there's a there's a lot of that as well. So in order to make it real, they needed to make it their own, and they need to they had we had a script obviously, but they could really divert from it and say whatever they wanted. And um, part of the reason why I think the show is rated R because I knew there was going to be so much cursing and there was be no way. I mean, that's how people talk. Did you go through any other concepts of deciding how to visualize the experience and what work went into what we see in the way of the use of the geometry and the altered text to bring the stories to life? There was a lot of yeah experimentation from the beginning, but it was always I knew from the beginning there was going to be very low tech. I I just I was laughing at this guy. I mean, you should have seen their faces at the beginning, obviously, when I when I did the first one and. Uh, and we we work on the first one and Apple is super hands off and they really empower you as a director to let you do your thing. So, you know, suddenly for, for Apple, that is all about 4k and high definition and sound and all that. The first frame of the thing is a, is black and white. And is a, it's just a line. It was just two names, one line, black and white. And this was the first 10 minutes of the episode. They were like <laughs> insane, but then obviously, as you, as you know, that, that wide line started evolving and evolving. And by the end, you're on, uh, you know, fucking Stargate of 2001. So it, it, it becomes it, 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 that game of really starting very simple and, and having that visual crescendo, I, I, you know, was something that I wanted to play with. So, but we did a lot of experimentation. Super trippy show, right? It's one of those shows that I cannot say, but you enjoy better. And anyways, I would say, I don't, <laughs> but it's one of those shows. So yeah, it's just it like a super trippy experience, right? Super trippy. The music on the series by the Hacks and Cloak, who are known from uh, Midsummer and Stranger Things, adds a layer of immersiveness that carefully and effectively adds to the heightened tension without getting in the way of conversations. Talk about working with him and crafting the music for the series. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, Bobby, which, you know, Haxon Krog, uh, he, he was, it was a pleasure to work with him. He, I think he understands that we, we have the same um, sensitivity when it comes to storytelling, I guess, which is less is more, right? You, there's no something like this you could have think well there's no images so let's bring on this like bombastic soundtrack just to keep you engaged and just something like that just when no one talks you can imagine people running but he did completely opposite right like it's a super minimalistic kind of dreadful score it just gets under your skin and um and the reason why it's like that, and, and same with the graphics for a lot of times, is it, abstract graphics and it's abstract music as well. Like, there's not a lot of melodies in it. It's just this thing that is there to support your imagination. The whole balancing act here when you create something like this is to never step in the way of your imagination. Whatever you imagine is always going to be the scariest thing. It's going to be always the most exciting image. The most, the, the, you know, it, it's always better than whatever I can create when you just imagine it. But the wrong image or the wrong music can even step in the way of your emotion. You know, like uh, you suddenly want to feel emotional about something and, and suddenly put a music on to pretend to make it scary or something's not that scary and the music is trying to make it scary. You go like, dude, you're not going to scare me with a scary key if there's nothing scary in the story. So I, I think he did, a, he did a great job of having the music be a great supporting uh, vehicle and not, and not something that gets in the way. What was your goal in the storytelling? They all play like self-contained vignettes, but do they fold into each other in interesting ways? 
They definitely do. I mean, uh, it's, uh, I, I, again, there was so much ex experimentation and it's, it might feel like one of those, you know, like Twilight Zone, you know, I can jump around or, you know, Black Mirror, we could just jump around and watch one and then five. It's not that. I mean, honestly, I, I want people to watch it in order because they will realize by probably episode three or four that, oh, wait a second, this is a, these characters are experiencing a, a, a single event that is affecting everybody. And there's a singular event that is affecting all of them. And if you play them in order, you, you'll have the chance to start figuring out the bigger story that connects all the characters. But even there's a lot of there's a lot of connection between them. Uh, you know, there's there's one character in episode eight that uh, in episode one I don't remember, but Lily Collins is, is babysitting for her sister. And on the last and the, the second to last episode, there's an air hostess that is saying, "Yeah, just talk with my sister. She's taking care of my kid." Like that's Lily Collins' sister in the plane. There's a lot of characters that are just connected like that. It's just one of the shows that you want hopefully when you finish you'll rewatch it and you'll you'll get a lot more things out of it like you just start making all the connections there's so many hidden connections between them i, I just like those things uh, as a fan of this kind of shows i just like to you know if there's such thing as this kind of show but at least this kind of storytelling i guess to go back and and reconnect characters there, there's there's thousands and thousands of connections oh that's so fun well before we yeah. go we're getting the wrap-up notice here but Producing Texas Chainsaw sequel, remake, whatever it is, is it gory and violent as hell or is it a throwback to the original where it's more about what's off camera and the vision of David Blue Garcia who's taken over? <laughs> I, I, I'm curious that you say, but I'm surprised that you said that the original is not gory. It's quite gory anyway, it's, right. it's true. They have the budget to do a lot of gags, but still quite gory. Um, I think there's a bit of everything. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of it is David approach to filmmaking. Um, a lot of it, kind of my work was just, I mean, we work a lot on the story and just creating the take and the story with the Roto, which I wrote Evil Dead and Don't Breathe With. We, we started ourselves with the story. And then we, you know, is a lot of that our work was the creation of the concept, but then also the to make sure I was always pushing David to do everything as, as old school as he could. You know, like everything is on camera, everything is classic old school gags. A lot of the approach we had with Evil Dead originally, never a VFX, a bloodshot or anything like that, to, to do everything on camera. And um, so it's a very old school approach to filmmaking, I think, and, and it retranslated. And a lot of the things from the vintage lenses that they used to shoot the movie, like everything, it, it's very similar to the original film. And, and, it, and it is, uh, as we said, it is a direct sequel and you know? it, it is the same character i mean it's you know this will be kind of an exclusive thing i think i've said but it, it is old man letterface anyway. that's awesome <laughs> fetty dude thank you so much for your time yes, today we got to wrap yes. it it's always a pleasure yeah, we love you. you man thanks for making awesome yes. shit love you too guys thank you so much <laughs> that was the boo crew podcast episode 208 special thanks to our guest fetty alvarez follow him at i am fetty alvarez on instagram and at fetty alvar on twitter at time of release all nine episodes of his tv series calls is available exclusively on apple tv plus march 19th production tracks for this episode provided by power man 5000 Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand. Chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. 
The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy for disturbing and terrifying creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.